Have you ever heard about people that see spirits all the time? Or perhaps people that have what are supposed past life memories? We'll discuss how even ancestors trying to make contact with the spirit world or the occult can have an impact on our present day experiences. That and a lot more on this part one of two installment of Spirit Answers Podcast. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Hey, Alex, thank you for having me. It's definitely a blessing being here with you. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, you have an absolutely incredible story, one that eventually takes you to uh, just a crazy uh, exorcism experience where you were the one uh, being exercised uh, and getting the demonic out of you. Uh, just an incredible experience there. But uh, before we get to that, I want to get us started with uh, how you got there. And really for you, a lot of this comes back to your f- family background and kind of opening up some spiritual doorways there. So if you could get us started there and, and how you got to that experience, that exorcism experience, that would be great. Um, sure, I'd be happy to. Um, well, this really does start generally generational excuse me, generationally for me, I can talk, I promise. (laughs) Um, And I think it does for a lot of people as well. Maybe they just don't realize it though, or or some do realize it and take a lot of pride in that. Um, So some key people in my um, genealogy, um, one of them is a great, great uncle, maybe a great, great, great uncle. Um, and anyways, they, he, he founded a society for magicians in Baltimore called uh, the Demons Club. And he was the head demon. Um, and these were stage magicians, but I suspect that there was a lot more going on behind the scenes as there often is with stage magicians. And eventually, they, um, he created a society called the Society of Osiris Magicians. Um, and so they had a large network based out of Baltimore, and apparently they were known worldwide. And I don't think that what he was part of, because I don't, we share blood, but I'm not direct lineage from him, but I think his story is a symptom of probably a long line of many generations of occult activity in our family. And on my mom's side, um, her mother, who I never met, she died tragically in a car accident before I was born, but um, she was a Catholic, but she had a tremendous amount of paranormal activity going around, going on around her all the time. And, um, I don't know if she was a sensitive, but even though I never met her, I always, my mom always had stories about her and I really feel like I connected with her on that spiritual level of the paranormal. And then of course my mother and her youth did mess with the Ouija board and played games like light as a feather, straight as a board and would tell me these stories that this actually happened. They actually did levitate each other and things like that. So, yeah. Um, And then on the other side of my family, on my dad's side, um, there's some Masonic connections there. And uh, my great grandmother was part of the um, Order of the Eastern Star. And I don't know how deep those roots go. um, But as I said, I feel like those examples are 
symptoms, not necessarily the cause, but symptoms of a long history of, of occult activity in our family. And um, so my mom was, my mom was a child of the hippie movement and she was very much um, a new wager when um, my brother and I were born in the early 80s. And um, my dad wasn't particularly new agey or anything, but I think he just, he just sort of went along with, you know, or didn't mind what my mom was into. And she never really did get as far into new age or cult activities as I did, um, or as I, as I would, as I was in, in my adulthood. Um, but it was enough to make an impact on me and it was enough to continue that paranormal activity around us um, as children, me and my brother. Uh, and I, that had a huge impact on me in the way that I, I viewed the world because there was just always something weird going on, <laughs> you know, something unexplained going on around me and my brother. And, um, you know, I was an older child before I realized that not everybody had these experiences. I thought that ghosts and spirits and apparitions and, and disembodied voices and weird dreams and seeing shadow people, uh, those sorts of things were just normal. I thought that everybody um, had those experiences and it wasn't until, until later on that I realized that people didn't have those experiences. And so that really defined my childhood in seeking the answers for what was going on, um, seeking the answers to what was causing it. What was it? Where did it come from? What did it want with me? Why was it bothering me and my brother? Does that make sense? So um, I was always a very curious child and I'm a very curious adult and love to research. So. Um, the paranormal really, it really shaped my childhood for sure. When you were having these paranormal experiences, um, was your, or were your parents aware of what was going on? Um, I think, yes, my mom was, um, but even though she, she hardly ever, my dad just did it. He thought that it was just, you know, childhood imagination and stuff Right. where he didn't, He's had experiences of his own when he was a child, but he just really didn't want to believe that it was really happening, I guess. So, um, but it was mostly my mom that was around because my dad was working all the time. Um, so she believes me. She never discouraged me or anything or told me I was making it up or any of those things that can be very damaging to a child um, to not believe them. And um but she didn't know what to do about it either. And she had never directly experienced very much paranormal except Ouija boards and her mother's stories. And I think there was one time when she was a child that um, in her house in Baltimore County that she heard a party going on in the downstairs and of course went down there and nothing was going on, but her, her paranormal experiences were not as many as, as, as mine. And she just didn't, she didn't know what to do about it. Um, and so the new age way of dealing with it is 
well, you know, if it's not hurting any anybody, um, it's probably a lost soul or maybe you're sensitive. And there were times where she took us to psychic fairs. And there was one time that um, one of the psychic mediums there had mentioned to her that I had a gift and not to discourage me about that gift. And so even though she saw that these things really scared me, there wasn't very, it wasn't very often that I told her about things that had happened. Um, but she just, as I said, she, she didn't really know what to do about it. So it was just kind of like, well, it's over now, you know, <laughs> so right. we'll just move on. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's really interesting because you at this point you hadn't really gotten into the new age much yourself, isn't that right? Yeah, I'm it's, I'm talking about all like um as a young child. Right, right, and and so you're having all these experiences happen to you before you you even really get into the new age. Your mom at this point has had more uh, interaction with the new age than you had had, mm -hmm. had and yet you were having more uh, of these paranormal or spiritual experiences than your mom had even had and to then get that reinforced uh with the uh, with the encounter with a psychic i i think is is pretty remarkable it showed it shows that um it really reinforces what was going on here yeah it, it really did it was um i i believe now that there are familiar spirits and spirits that that do follow a family and are attached to a family and unless the blood of christ is um it's bestowed upon that family that curse is never broken you know what i mean so there might be varying interests in the occult and the paranormal and the new age with, with a family member but i do believe that there is a there's a force that can attach itself to a family and just wait for that opportunity to to manifest or to influence one one person in particular. What what were some of those uh, experiences that you had then growing up? Um, well, I had sleep paralysis. I know that that's a that's a big one for a lot of people, um, but I only remember it exactly what happened the one time. And I, even though my mom was new age, um, she grew up Methodist. So. She still taught us the Lord's Prayer. And so, of course, I was unable to move and, and grab any kind of um, Bible, and I was unable to scream. So I just started reciting the Lord's Prayer in my mind, and it and it, it, um, it faded away from the top of my head down to, to the bottom until it had completely gone, but it was for sure like a black mass over me. Um, so I mentioned... I mentioned that because I know a lot of people have have sleep paralysis and there was one there was a time when I was a very young child I think my mom said I was two that I heard angels singing and she related that to an experience that her little brother had had um he was also sensitive I believe and he had heard angels singing when he was a little kid um and there's some you know when I was real small two, three years old. So my mom has had to sort of tell me the things that I had told her. And apparently there was one time that my my deceased grandmother, her, her mother had appeared to me in a doorway of light and asked me to come with her or told me to come with her. 
and of course I didn't go but knowing what I know now about fairy lore and, and things like that I definitely make a connection with the spirit world there I don't think it would have been good at all if I had gone with her um and then things like seeing shadow people um I feel like I could go on for days but um there was one time that sticks out in my mind and, and always did I think I was about five years old and suddenly I woke up in the middle of the night and this shadow figure um was in my room and started walking towards me and it bent down on its knee like um like on one knee like when somebody's going to propose and folded its hands in prayer in front of my bed and, and bowed its head. And I thought that I was dreaming. So I closed my eyes really tightly and pulled the covers over my head and prayed, you know, make it go away, make it go away. And I looked and it was still there. And um, so I said, you know, in my mind said, go away. You know, you don't want here. I don't want you here. You're scaring me. And it didn't disappear right away. I'm sure if I had asked Jesus for help, it would have disappeared right away. But, um, you know, I didn't know at the time that you could do that. Um, so it, it got up slowly and the, the energy of it was kind of bewildered a little bit, a little confused, like, why did I want it to go away? And then it sort of took a few steps back and turned around and disappeared. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that's an event that really sticks out in my mind because it felt very personal even though i know it was a shadow being um it felt like it knew me it felt like i should know it and that was a really confusing experience that stuck with me um, through adulthood um and made me more curious you know even more eager to find out where are these things coming from and there were times where I could, I saw a shadow figure out of the corner of my eye and they just always kind of look like they were observing sort of. And um, as, I, as I got older, in my teen years, we moved to a house in South Carolina that was known as the haunted house. <laughs> the first day on the bus, the kids were like, oh, you moved into the haunted house. So, um, you know, that doesn't help when I was already haunted, you know, as a child. Oh, and um, before I go there, my brother and I had a lot of shared experiences. And when we were living in Maryland still, there were these three demons. I, I guess they were demons. We'll call them shadow figures that um, followed us from house to house, actually. And we called them the farmers, me and my brother. Now he's only 13 months younger than I am. So we're very close. We were very close then. And um, we would have the same dream or what we thought was dreams or like I would see them with my eyes and my brother would dream about them or I would dream about them and he would see them. And there were these shadow figures that appeared to be Farmers, like for lack of a better term as children, that's how we identified them. Because even though they were all shadow, we could see 
they were they were larger shadow figures. We're not talking about like Slender Man type, but um, had bulkier bulkier figures. The outline of overalls, the outline of straw hats, and they would file into our rooms. We had separate rooms, and they would file in one after the other, and stand next to the bed, and wake you up and stare at you. Um, and then if you had a nightmare about them, they did the same thing and they would scare you in your sleep. And these things followed us all the way till we were teenagers actually um, in South Carolina. And there was one night, I so at this time I was about 16, I think, and I always slept with my door closed and I was constantly being disturbed by things at night and um, didn't really get good sleep. So I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself with these paranormal stories because at this time, um, we, we, my mom and my dad had converted to Christianity. But just briefly, um, since it has to do with the, the shadow figures, um, I had accidentally slept with my door open that night um, and my brother had the nightmare and I saw them. And as soon as we meet, met each other in the hall that, uh, that morning, um, we both knew that we had seen them and we, we had a discussion about it. Um, and I think that was the last time that we saw them. But so that's definitely a shared experience. And we've had other, my brother and I have, other, have had other shared paranormal experiences so that I'm fairly certain they weren't uh, psychological in nature or just imagined because um, we both saw it at the same time. Um, but going back to, um, to childhood, I would hear um, disembodied voices call my name. It sounded like my mom, but it wasn't my mom calling me. I would look into the mirror and see a shadow figure standing behind me. Um, stuff like that. And um, trying to think if anything else really, it was just so, there's so many ghost stories and paranormal stories that it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to name them all. I know, I know a common experience that a lot of people have is um, feeling like they're being watched in the shower. I know a lot of sensitive children have that same experience where they're scared to close their eyes when they're in the shower or the bathtub because it feels like somebody's right there and is going to startle them. Um, that happened quite a bit where I, I didn't want to close my eyes. I didn't want to sleep with the light off. Um, it just always felt like something was around. Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing up the shared experience uh, or experiences with your brother because that is always, you know, some people are always going to ask if this is psychological. And that is a great example of something where I think that you almost have to uh, do more mental gymnastics to believe that this is all psychological when people are having shared experiences than to believe in the spiritual. I think that that's mm -hmm. a really good example of something that lets credence to what you're talking about. And then you talk, you, when you add that to everything else, such as um, what the psychic had told you, mm -hmm. uh, as far as being sensitive, the family background that you have where people had uh, had experience or had had um, ties to the occult. And then you take it outside of this outside of this realm, 
or outside of your story and you look back, you look at uh, several of the other stories out there that you can find all over the internet of people that have had similar experiences to you and how yeah. people are describing exact same situations as you are, as you are right here. And then saying that when you uh, ask these creatures to go in Jesus name, or you call on Jesus to help you, that these beings go just, just like that, that tells me that there, this is, this is something more than just a psychological experience there is something of a spiritual nature going on here and again i think i i think you have to do a lot more uh uh just mental gymnastics overthinking things uh to 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 really uh come to any kind of conclusion that is anything other than the spiritual realm yes because there was there was one um instance that if it were psychological in nature, my brother and I would have had to have the phenomenon known as shared psychosis. And I'm sure that there's a psychologist out there who could, who could debate me on it and say, you know, tell me why that happened. But to me, it makes a lot more sense that what we saw was spiritual in nature. Would you like me to share that story? Please. Okay. Um, well, I think that I was 16 and he was 15, I believe. I might have been 15 and 14, but somewhere in that age range. And we had just returned, this, me and him and my mother, our mother, um, from grocery shopping. And we were bringing the groceries in to our haunted house. <laughs> and uh, without having to, you know, I don't want to try to describe the plan and stuff but we were bringing groceries in from the back door into the kitchen and to get into the kitchen you have to go into this part of this hallway that goes leads to the front door and rooms that go off on either side like the dining room on the right and the um, laundry room and the bathroom on the left and uh, so we're turning the corner together with these bags in our hands and suddenly from the right side to the left side of the hallway so from the dining room going into the laundry room an apparition walked across the hallway it was it was as real as Miriu standing there or walking and so it was striding and it was it looked like it was clutching something to its chest it was wearing a, a black cloak um and tall boots um and it was hard to make out anything else because of the cloak but it had a hood over its head and the cloak come down came down to about its its knees and it wasn't walking on the floor it was walking sort of higher up in the air um mm. but it was you could tell it was sort of on the shorter side my brother and i are pretty tall i'm 5 10 and he's six four six five so to us, it was kind of on the shorter side, I would say maybe five, 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 seven, maybe. And um, it strode across just clear as day. And it wasn't scary or anything. Like, um, I feel like some apparitions intentionally try to scare you. It didn't seem that way. It didn't seem, it was just an anomaly. Just like we saw something we weren't supposed to see. And it didn't pay any attention to us. It looked like it was going somewhere. It was on a mission. And we looked at each other. I said, did you see that? He said, I saw that. And then as literally seconds later, as we're standing there, it went back the other way. It went from the laundry room back into the dining room. Wow. 
Yeah, hundred percent a- for sure. We both saw it. Yeah, that's that's really really fascinating because I think, like you said, a lot of times these things will intentionally try to scare you. Uh, but in this particular case, it seems like it was just there, uh, as we know about the enemy. He tries to cause confusion and chaos. So, yeah. seeing something like this, I think, just probably further lend, uh, lended credence to your understanding that yes, there is a spiritual world going on, and perhaps even subconsciously helped you believe in the idea of like, you know, ghosts and people being trapped and those types of things. Um, because that's, mm-hmm. uh, we understand that that's what the enemy's trying to do. He's not, he obviously hates us. So do anything he can to, uh, hurt us and, uh, scare us, but he's also here to attack our mind. And this is a perfect example of that by just, uh, causing confusion as well, uh, with something like this. And we see this a lot, uh, with, uh, ghosts, ghost hunters, ghost invest- mm-hmm. investigators, people that are caught in trying to investigate this exact type of phenomena. Sometimes, unfortunately, they get trapped in that for decades. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Just, just incredible. And again, l- lending further credence to this being much more than psychological. Right. And deception because, right. you know, a lot of people who have, well, not a lot, because I haven't tried to um, tell my story to a lot of people, but some of the people that I have have tried to talk to um you know they they still believe that the devil the enemy satan lucifer however you want to define define it um is going to be this scary pitchfork guy you know like um the dark lord from the movie legend or something and the bible tells us that he appears as an angel of light he he is very um deceptive in his tactics so something like what me and my brother experienced you know i can tell you what it contributed to was believing in parallel and alternate timelines and our timelines converging and there being multiple universes existing simultaneously is really what that event um put me on to yeah, yeah, and and that's another that's another uh, type of uh, way of thinking that a lot of ghost investigators do believe, and mm-hmm. they believe that's a lot of these types of ghost sightings are parallel uh, universe sightings. So, mm-hmm. uh, like you were saying, the deception is just all feeding into that deception, and but also also uh, which the enemy is very good at sa- giving you just a little bit of of satiation in terms of yes, there is a yeah. spiritual world. There's more to the to, to life than than just this physical and all that does is it's like okay it's like i want i want more of this what's going on it just leads to you're trying to 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 get to the end of this and as as you and i know unfortunately you know you never do until you find the truth yep absolutely the questions you find answered are just leads to more questions (laughs) exactly exactly yeah never ends you had mentioned you had mentioned previously your parents ended up becoming uh, Christians, and um, I, I'm not sure exactly how that ties into eventually uh, your you have an, an incredible encounter, which I which I would like to have you share here as well, uh, which is that um, that experience where you had heard whispered into your ear. Um, I think it was that that's enough. And mm-hmm. so at this point, um, are we kind of there in the, in the timeline as it relates to your also yes. um, kind of confessing your life to Jesus as well? This is, this is what happened. Um, so my mother, I hope she doesn't mind me sharing. I don't think she would. She, she will be listening to this. <laughs> 
Um, but she had, as I said, she had been involved with the new age, but there was somebody she knew from work who had been trying to minister to her and um, she had gotten herself a, a dark attachment, I believe, um, or there was something uh, that was tormenting her. And um, she had turned to this man for help. And he said, of course, well, if you want help, Jesus is the only one that can help you. And you have to confess your sins and repent and give your life to him if you want us to stop. And that's when the truth really broke through for her. And she did, she did that. And my father um, followed suit. Um, and so we started going to a local community church. I was nine years old at this time. And um, I don't remember giving my life to Christ like in church, but I know that a youth pastor told me how to say the sinner's prayer. Um, but I can tell you, I did not know what I was asking for. I didn't understand sin. I didn't understand the gospel. I didn't understand what Jesus had come to do for us or anything like that. Um, you know, this, I just was thinking of it. Well, this is what they said I should do. And I did love God. I mean, I'll be honest. I, I feel that I have always had a relationship with the Lord. Um, I think a lot of us would would say that despite whatever sin we were involved in, God was always there with us and trying to lead us into the right direction until we finally did give our lives to Christ. And, you know, there was always someone that I was talking to when I was a child. And um, I believe that it was God, you know, in my private thoughts and prayers, even though I didn't really know who I was praying to. Um, so I felt like I already had a relationship with God and that making, you know, asking Jesus to come into my heart was just the next logical step because that's what the adults told me that I should do, but I didn't know what I was doing. So when I was nine years old, um, I had come home from church that day and there was a swing set in our backyard and, um, it was just a nice warm afternoon so I was out there swinging by myself and just saying over and over again Jesus come into my heart Jesus come into my heart Jesus come into my heart um and I heard in my and it's it's difficult to describe but I'm sure people who have had this similar experience know what I mean um it wasn't audible in my ear but it was and it wasn't like my own voice in my head, but it was in my head, but it was also audible in my ear. Um, and the voice just very directly said, that's enough. Just like that. Wow. wow. Uh, stern, maybe a little bit, not a little irritated sounding. Um, but what's really sad is I thought that was the voice of God and it wasn't. And that moment started um, a journey of me thinking that I was a Christian, believing that I was, trying to be a good Christian, reading my Bible, but always feeling like God was mad at me about something, always. The spirit of condemnation was, it was palpable. Um, 
I was always begging for forgiveness. I never felt um, like I was accepted by God or treasured by him or even loved by him, really. Um, that voice and, and, and I, I think as a teenager, you know, I didn't think back on that experience and think, oh, God's voice is mean or anything. It was more subconsciously like, it was just another divine, uh, defining paranormal moment that caused confusion in me as to God's character mm -hmm. and who he is and who Jesus is and my relationship with him and what that should look like, what that could be like. So instead of asking Christ into my heart as a nine-year-old and being filled with God's love and God's peace and his mercy and understanding his grace, um, I felt a heavy weight of condemnation from that day forward that mm. I was never going to be able to please him. I was never going to be good enough. I was always going to sin and be doing something wrong to make God mad at me. That makes sense. That's that stayed with me for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's, that's really important because I think unfortunately there's a lot of people out there that, that either are not Christian and view Christianity that way or, or call mm -hmm. themselves Christian. And that is their, you know, their type of uh, relationship with God. And yeah. I think it's very easy to fall into that or, or to think that that is, is the, is the routine uh, life for a Christian. Um, and it's no wonder then for, because I, I think I understand like uh, it, this would not this would not really prevent you from kind of getting more into some of these alternate spiritual practices uh, throughout your teen years and, and into your adult years. And, and there's, and it's no wonder to me because when you're going through that kind of, when you have that kind of uh, condemning, like feeling all the time in that relationship, that's how your, you, your relationship with God is defined by that feeling all mm -hmm. the time. You're never enough. You feel like somebody is always like looking down on you and, and credit, criticizing you and just, and, and really there's no love there. There's, it's no wonder that these other types of spiritualities with all the wonder and the, uh, just this, the sense of, um, there's just something, there's something alluring that the, the seductiveness of those other spiritualities, I think that, that, that it becomes even more heightened when you're going through that. Absolutely. Um, because you can't live your whole life like that either. And eventually, uh, you'll start looking for, place where you are accepted and where you don't feel condemned you know right right and a lot of times that leads people who come from christian upbringings into alternative spirituality even though um theologically we should be able to say well um you know these things alternative spirituality aka new age or the occult or witchcraft um that that's not conducive to a Christian life. Like if you don't have that love of Christ, love for Christ in you, that can only come by the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit and having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, um, then there really isn't anything stopping you, so to speak, or red flag or that uncomfortable feeling you get when you're being convicted of sin because the Holy Spirit convicts the enemy um, condemns 
what happens next in your story is kind of getting more into uh, mm-hmm. these different new age practices. And I believe at this point you, you start to, um, I, I can't, I can't remember if you already had kids or if you started to have kids, but uh, at this point, from what I understand, you're getting more into these new age practices and the, your kids are starting to kind of overlap with this as well, like in terms of what they're telling you. Yeah. Um, so that, that is jumping ahead um, into my early 20s. Um, so during that period of time between nine and my early 20s, I had tried really hard to be a good Christian, but I just didn't even know what that meant. I, I really need to take more time to sort of think that out because I honestly believe that that's the situation that a lot of people find themselves in, that they're like, yeah, I want to follow Christ. And they say the sinner's prayer, but then what, you know, then what after that? Um, so a lot of, even though we, had, we were going to church, um, the youth group that I was a part of was very toxic. and the friends, so-called, the quote-unquote friends that I had in church were terrible to me. Um, and, and I mention this because this is all leading up to a throw my hands in the air sort of moment, like I give up on Christianity sort of thing. Um, so, you know, the people who were supposed to be Christians, the other kids, of course, they were kids, you know, so that's how kids are. But they were pretty terrible to me. And um, I noticed that the people who were nice to me were not in my church. Um, they were people of other faith. They were Buddhists or they, um, you know, were secular completely. Their, their parents weren't of faith, you know, and they were the people who were nicest to me at school. And um, whereas my Christian, supposedly Christian friends who come from Christian families, who were in my youth group who I went to school with, you know, my, my, the girl who was supposed to be my best friend would pretend she didn't even know me at school. And, um, so for a sensitive person like me, who's very relationship oriented, um, and very guarded, um, as far as who I let into my heart kind of thing, um, that was very devastating. So we did eventually move to South Carolina and, um, make sure I'm not forgetting anything important. Um, so I met my husband when I was 14 and we, um, he also came from a similar upbringing where they, you, you go to church and you say you're a Christian, but there's no real power of the Holy Spirit there. There's not any, um, you know, you go to church on Sunday and then live like a heathen the other six days, you know what I mean? Like that sort of, um, civic Christianity that is pervasive in America. Um, so I became pregnant when I was 20 years old and, um, I was really upset with God, even though I, looking back, I made these decisions, you know, um, I do believe that he was the man that was chosen for me, but we just did it all. We did it all wrong. We did it outside of God's prescribed 
plan for his children. Um, and he came from a very tumultuous upbringing and um, had a lot of emotional handicaps from that and stuff that as teenagers, we weren't equipped to deal with. So he had caused a lot of damage to me along the way. And by the time we had kids, when I had our, our oldest son, when I was a week past my 21st birthday and my husband was um, about to be 24, we're just kids ourselves, you know, at that point. And I was angry with God. I was angry that my husband um, was not very good to me, um, that we had all these issues and angry with God that, um, I have this baby now that we can't financially take care of. Um, so I was angry. I, I did what a lot of people do and that is, um, they become angry with God because of their choices that they made in sin. You know, I mean, there's a reason that God wants to protect us from sin because it, it hurts us ultimately. Right. And uh, so, but I was angry with God regardless. And that nudged me. And, and during this course of time, my interest in the paranormal and weird things and um, the unexplained and the supernatural never waned. It, it was always a very strong force in my life. I still had plenty of supernatural paranormal experiences. And on top of that, I never got good theology. Um, I never, as I, as I was telling you before we um, started the recording that I couldn't have told you, I couldn't have explained to somebody what the gospel was. I couldn't have explained to somebody what Jesus actually did for us, what his presence in our lives is supposed to mean. Um, so even though I called myself a Christian and I did read the Bible, it's like, almost like I had one foot in Christianity and one foot in the occult. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, yeah. That whole period of time, um, as a teenager, um, and you know, and I read the Bible not to grow closer to the Lord, not to learn more about God, but to find answers to my questions. Um, like I said, like my I'm, I'm a curious person. I'm very much Eve in the garden. And um, oh, all I have to do is, is this, to have knowledge, to find the answer to this question, then I'll do that. I was willing to sin to find the answers to these questions that I had. Um, that's my number one vice <laughs> is, is uh, knowledge and curiosity about this awesome universe that that God created for us, but we're not meant to, to know everything and that's for our protection. But anyway, um, so that was after we started having kids, um, you know, that just introduces a whole lot more hardship into somebody's life, especially if they're not, um, the relationship was rocky because we didn't, we never had a good foundation. Um, we were poor. <laughs> Um, my husband hadn't even graduated college yet, um, and I dropped out of college, so we weren't, we didn't have a real job. Um, you know, he was working retail and, and going to college, and he had like $100 a week or something for diapers and food and all that stuff, so there's just, there was all this hardship and stress, and um, 
I was angry at God, like I said, angry about this relationship. Um, so when our kids were, were little and they're two, about two years apart each, um, and this really started with our daughter. So I would have been in my mid twenties when this started happening. And I was really giving up on Christianity. I had been introduced to Eastern spirituality um, from a couple of friends. And um, even though they weren't very, they weren't good examples at all of how to live, uh, I was very taken by um, just the way they thought about things, uh, the way they saw life. And we had really interesting um, philosophical discussions and um, there was acceptance there. Uh, everybody was just allowed to be who they were. Whereas in church, I always felt that I had to be somebody who I wasn't to, um, to be there to get along. And I, I felt that about most church people that I met, but um, that they were pretending. And uh, so when, when I had these couple of friends introduced me to new age thought and, and Eastern spirituality. Um, it really did up something inside of me. And I started to move away from Christianity and really start to, I mean, and, and I deliberated on it. I thought about it all the time that maybe Christianity is not the truth because it's not working for me. You know, I didn't apply it the way God intended, but, you know, in my mind, I thought I had tried to be a good Christian. I had read the Bible. I had gone to church and um, my life was just a mess. And I had said to myself, Christianity is not working for me. Um, so why keep trying to fight it? Why not just explore these other avenues that are very interesting and exciting to me that seem more real and seem more likely to be true than Christianity is. Um, of course, I just want to say that, you know, I wasn't <laughs> doing Christianity the way that God intended and I hadn't done everything um, that I could have. And I had all of these questions that, um, I used as an excuse to move away from Christianity when if I had to set up um, a meeting with a pastor or a Bible scholar could have easily been addressed. But as I, you know, as is the case with myself and numerous people that I've talked to, people like to use those lingering questions that they have and doubts about the Bible's um, authenticity and inerrancy um, the list goes on to say, well, this couldn't be true, and to then continue living in a sinful lifestyle. A lot of people do that rather than press in and talk to experts and ask these questions of people who really know them, or maybe they do go to their pastor and their pastor can't answer the question for them, but we have the internet this these days. <laughs> There's, everybody has access to um, these deep theological questions um, and answers to them. So 
Um, so when our kids were, so just to say that I was moving in that direction of Eastern spiritual thought. And uh, our daughter was about, how old is she? Um, I guess our daughter was about four. And she started, she said something like, remember when I took care of grandma when she was a baby? And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> um, and actually there was a time where our oldest son was two. And I didn't remember this for a long time later because I didn't think anything of it at the time. But um, he was about two years old and he said, my daddy's dead. And I, I'm like, no, you know, no, honey, your daddy is just waiting for us at the house. He's not dead. And he said, just deadpan, just completely seriously. He's not joking. He didn't just watch a scary movie, nothing. He just says, my daddy's dead. And then that was it. And then I didn't know, you know, I didn't think much of it because kids say things, you know. Um, so it wasn't until after I had researched a lot of so-called reincarnation stories of children and past life regression and stuff like that, that I thought, well, that was pretty weird that he said that. Um, and then so my daughter started saying this stuff about taking care of grandma when she was a baby. And I asked my mom, you know, did you ever have a nanny? Or anything or a maid or anybody else that took care of you besides your mother and you know she she didn't have anybody except maybe um maybe a housemaid um but she was not a baby at the time I don't think um so it was just it was just an anomaly it was just weird but it got me really wondering um what's going on and then uh, she was five years old and she had an experience. Now, mind you, my children by this time had started having paranormal experiences too. I mean, I had always prayed, you know, that God would not allow them to go through the things that I had gone through because it was very scary. I didn't want them to be scared. So, um, that was another thing that made me mad at God, honestly, when they started having paranormal experiences. And I was like, you know, you're not even protecting my kids from this stuff, you know? So I was frustrated about that. Um, so they had seen, they had seen some um, interesting and, and frightening apparitions. Uh, so my, I was getting the kids ready for bed one night and like I said, she was five years old and she had already gotten in bed and was waiting for me to come tuck her in. And um, I hear her like getting upset back there. So I, I run into her room and her eyes are as wide as saucers. And she's trying to quickly explain to me what just happened. She's like, had this gun and it looked like this she's making all these hand gestures um her arms and her hands and trying to describe to me and she's like had this long point on the end of it and I was wearing an army man uniform and the villagers were mad at me and they said that I took their last food but then when I explained to them the situation they gave me their last food their last corn or something like that is what she said um and I was like honey what 
are you actually talking about? Like you haven't even been asleep. She hadn't even been asleep yet. Um, so this was like a vision that she had. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are open to spiritual, spiritual experiences and understand these things do happen. But just, you know, for anybody who's skeptical because it was a child, as a parent, you can really tell when your child is making something up compared to when they've really experienced something. Like if you know your child well, and I had been, you know, always with my kids, I didn't um, start working outside of the home until our youngest was nine months old. So I had been with them all the time. I knew them, I knew my children very well. And I knew something had happened. She had really seen something. And that's when I really started um, wondering, of course, I had seen these TV shows about past life experiences of kids and stuff. And I'm like, that must be, I couldn't get my head around it because of my sort of, sort of Christian. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I didn't want to believe that. I never had never thought about reincarnation seriously before um, and didn't believe in it. And didn't even know what past life regression was really. Um, but that's what led me to um, Dr. Ian Stevenson's work um, and reading a lot about past life memories. Um, and it led me to books like Life Between Lives and um, um, many lives, many masters, and things like that. They're, they're, they're like uh, the gateway drug of reincarnation study. And um, so, but that wasn't, that wasn't the end of it. Not long after that, uh, our youngest, when he was four years old or so, he was in K-4. He, he was speech delayed. He's, um, we even had him tested at school for any kind of cognitive disabilities or anything that he may have had, but he's completely, he tested completely normal. Um, but he was speech delayed till he was about three. He didn't even put two words together. And I mean, he didn't talk. He, he didn't talk until he was about three. And then that was just like two, two and three word sentences. So by the time that he went to um, K-4, and that, that's kindergarten for, for little kids, um, he, he wouldn't even speak to his teacher the entire year, didn't, didn't talk to her and said very little um, to anybody but me. And um, he started saying things like, Where's my locket? Where's my locket, mommy? Um, and I'm I'm asking him what what locket, honey? My locket on the, the in the the barn on the barn floor, and he starts saying about his other daddy, and that he was in he was in the house. Now this is a four year old, and I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to summarize what my four year old said in four year old speak. So this is not verbatim what he said, but he had explained to me that he was 
he was a baby inside of a log cabin home that was on fire and he explained to me how the papers on the wall ripped in half and that the doors were all locked and his dad was running around outside of the log cabin saying I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry please forgive me I'm sorry and this is a kid that doesn't talk mind you which is why this experience was so made such an impact on me and um he talked about how then his he popped out and then he could see over top of the roof of the house and see his dad running around trying to get in the house but it was too late he couldn't save him and that then there was a new house built next door um and that his dad lived there but that there was a locket that his mother gave him and he was just obsessed with this locket and finding it and he kept telling me it was in the barn on the floor on the ground in the barn and I said well honey can you draw me a picture and he drew me a picture of this locket and this is not a child that makes stuff up he still to this day is very literal not to say he doesn't have an imagination or he's not creative but he's not a child that ever really played fantasy games or role-playing anything like that he didn't really ever pretend to be um here like heroes superheroes or um stuff like that he was always he always just played by himself a lot in nature and um was very content to just play by himself and uh never really made up stories or anything um and like I said, to this day, he's still the same way. He's 13 now. He's a very literal child. Like if you, if you say something sarcastic to him, he may think that you're being serious because he just takes things literally. Um, so I knew as his mother that this was a big deal. He really believed what he was experiencing. He was having dreams all the time about this other family. He told me about them. He said they used to catch animals in cages um, and hunted animals. And we don't, we're not hunters. Um, you know, we have pets and he would say things like the animals hate us because we, we hunt them. And um, I mean, you can probably imagine how staggering this was to me, all this information. I mean, and it, it just rolled out of him. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to, uh, I didn't have to really pull it out of him. He just, it just came out. And that went on for about six months um, during that or so, I would say, excuse me. And during that period of time, he also saw an apparition in our home. And um, he was going to K4, like I said, half a day in the morning. And then my mom was, um, on the days that I worked, she was taking him to school and picking him up because he was only at school for a few hours. And she called me one day and said, Nolan told me that he saw an old man and this old man approached him and asked him how to get to heaven. And I, you know, I, she was worried about it, of course. And um, so I asked, asked him, you know, what did he see? And he said that um, an old man with no shirt on approached him 
in the house, just here in the living room, and asked him how to get to heaven, and he told him he didn't know. And the man went away. And so um, several days later, of course, I'm worried that there's something around the house again, because this is not the first time that's happened. And I'm in my bathroom and there's one of those big sort of um, generic mirrors that go over like a double sink. So it's a pretty big mirror. And the double doors in the bathroom, you can see all the way into the bedroom behind you when you're looking into the mirror. And I'm like washing my hands in the sink or something. And I look up in the mirror and I see the old man standing behind my bed. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, so this is when I really started to think my son is sensitive to, and he can see things and he can talk to these things. And that he also told me he saw a shadow man in his classroom during school that was angry with him for being alive. And uh, he said, um, nobody else could see it. And he also said something like, um, he sees all the people going into the sky and he says, guys, they're going up, mommy. They're going up, all the people going up into the sky. You know, I didn't really know what he was talking about, but at this point, I just think my, my child is a psychic medium or something, you know, and um, he's remembering these past life experiences and I have, I'm reading all this literature and all these the really, they're not scientific studies, but they are pretty compelling studies about reincarnation and proof of reincarnation from around the world and everything. At this point, I'm like, I'm convinced that's what's going on. Uh, Cause I didn't have any other reference point for it. I didn't have any other explanation. Um, and there was really, I really didn't feel like the Bible had my answer. Um, I mean, I wasn't even really thinking about, about it from a Christian perspective anymore. I mean, I wrestled with it a lot because of my Christian upbringing, but at the end of the day, I just threw my hands up and said, you know, this, that must, this must be what's going on. Right. Um, so that was the very long version <laughs> of that, of that answer. I'm sorry if that was too much. No, no, that was great. I really appreciate you sharing all that information. And um, it, I, I think it's just worth, again, for people that might be hearing that, they're like, oh, I can't, I, I can't believe that because I, I would have been in the exact situation that you were and I would have believed the same thing that this, this, this shows that reincarnation is valid and that Christianity is not real. And I think just, just taking a step back and looking at everything from a, a broad perspective is important here because you had already had a really, uh, bad re relationship or yeah, bad relationship with Christianity. You were get, you were becoming friends with people that were more understanding, quote, understanding of you and more accepting of you and treat, mm -hmm. treated you well and had these deep philosophical conversations with them and that, that believed in, in, uh, alternate spiritualities, new age beliefs. You have all these different paranormal things going around you. Um, and, and coming through your kids, uh, by by way of what they're saying and also just apparitions that they're seeing and uh, it's very easy to based off of what you're seeing 
start to think that you're right you know there is something here as it relates to reincarnation um there probably is a difference between the demonic and just ghosts that are passing on spirits that are passing on uh to the other side your your son is talking about seeing spirits rise up to to you know to the sky and having somebody ask him about how to get to how to get to heaven and um, so it becomes very, very easy, kind of like we we're talking about before, for this deception to kind of slowly creep its way in. And um, and when you're when you see that, you know, Christians, many Christians don't haven't even taken the time that you've already taken to uh, explore some of these different beliefs and and have all these different experiences. Many Christians just out, outright dismiss them as, as they can't even be real. It's very easy to understand how you would start to look for answers uh, in other places. Yeah. Um, it's like, ultimately I felt like that was my only, that was my only choice. That was the only way I was going to find out what had been happening to me as a child, what was happening to my kids. Um, because as a parent, you want, it, it, you know, it didn't seem at all harmful, but you want to, you want to know how to be there for your kids and how to help them. Right. And I, I felt like I needed to find out what was going on so that I could help them, especially if this continued on or, or they were having nightmares or, um, you know, I, I just really believed that they must have been remembering this for some reason, uh, which leads to um, a foundational belief that would be uh, paramount to my transition into becoming a past life regression hypnotist. And um, so that was a little while on on yet. Um, so I was definitely studying other things besides Christianity for a while before I found Dolores Cannon. So before I get into quantum healing hypnosis technique, QHHT, and um, how that all happened, um, I was just looking at my notes. I made a few little notes um, over the week and it wasn't just my kids' experiences actually. Um, it, it was my own past life experiences or what I, you know, I didn't, I had no context for them. So I didn't label them as such, but later on I started to think that that must've been what they were. For example, my earliest memory is something that never happened and could have never happened. Um, my earliest memory is being a little girl with another little girl who must have been my sister, or, you know, I just imagined that she was my sister, playing in around this um, log cabin home. And my mother, we have a mother. Um, and she's in there and she's making cookies in an old timey oven. And um, it's very much a log cabin, like the walls are logs and it's just a very simple little home. And what sticks out to me the most is that the kitchen window had those early 20th century um, cafe curtains with little printed strawberries on them. And I remember me and this other little girl playing on a wooden, playing on a stump, like where a tree had been cut down. It was all wooded around this cabin. 
and, and there was just like this um, clear, a little clearing with a, a stump and she and I are playing on this stump and the, the filtered light from the sun is coming through the trees and I'm just, I'm just so happy. And that's my earliest memory. And I ha I've had that dream so often when I was a little girl that it wasn't until I was older that I realized it was such a part of me that I, it finally dawned on me one day, that never happened. That's not my life. Wow. And um, yeah, and things like that. Um, and there are some another some other memories too that weren't really memories. They were either things that I dreamt or something. I don't know, but it was just like they were just built into me. They were just part of me, I, and I and I remembered them like they were part of my life, but they couldn't have been. And like I said, it wasn't until I was much older, in my twenties, and even into my late 20s even after i had started into all this reincarnation and past life regression stuff that it that i realized wait a minute i never experienced that it couldn't possibly have been my life um and that's hard to describe but that's that's the only way i can describe it is that it's just it's just always been with me those memories have just always been there and so that all that did was serve to reinforce you know of course that this notion of reincarnation. Um, so um, with a combination of with my kids and then, you know, realizing that I've always had these memories too that couldn't possibly be my memories. And um, so we'll skip ahead a little bit. I was, I was studying, um, you know, and there are a lot of people who, uh, new age is even more popular now than it than it was even when I even in my mid twenties, uh, you know, ten to fifteen years ago. Um, you know, it's so much more mainstream now. Everybody's doing yoga, right? Everybody has crystals. Um, everybody's doing tarot, and it's just like um, normal. Seeing it's seeing it's more mainstream now than even it was then. Um. And there are a lot of people that they don't really study into it, but that's my personality is to study and to research. So during this period of time where my kids are having these past life memories, I'm confiding in my mom, like my doubts about Christianity and, and you know, about, I think reincarnation is real and stuff. And she's the only person I'm really telling about that. And, um, and I'm studying and I'm reading books and I'm learning about like uh, hermetics and the mystery schools. And I wanna know about the history of these Eastern schools of thought and um, what these secret societies believed. And I'm looking at, uh, you know, what the Rosicrucians believe and um, these mystical, um, societies and such throughout history what did they believe and um so it's very much I hadn't yet completely abandoned what I call my Christianity I, I mean like I said I was not I could not have gone this far actually being um true believer of Jesus Christ but I had 
head knowledge, you know, calling myself a Christian, thinking I was a Christian. And, um, but going away from that and going into these studies, and to me, I was just researching and I was just studying and I wasn't trying to practice. But there did come a time where um, I really just said to myself, this was after something had happened with me and my husband that was very difficult and painful and pretty much just shattered my entire world. And I was so angry at God that I pretty much, um, you know, said, F you, God, I'm going to do my own thing now because you don't care, obviously. You don't care about me if you're even real at all. So that's when I started going um, into um, like, for example, I got a book from the public library about Tibetan magic. And I actually did the spells and stuff, um, which is really foolish. Um, things did happen. They certainly did. Uh, terrifying things um, that I needed outside help to stop. And they eventually did stop. But that did not stop me from pursuing occult practices and, and uh, magic. Real, real quick and i don't mean yeah. to interrupt you I, did you also like with with those like uh the negative effects happening did you have quote like positive effects as well from the magic that you thought that the magic uh helped bring about i during this time not directly related to ritual or anything mm -hmm. um or ceremony but the experience of opening my mind it, it felt very much like, like you will hear a lot of people talk about awakening experiences, which I had had several of throughout my life. Hmm. Um, the first one being when I saw the movie Contact when I was 11. And I, I found out later that that's a big one for a lot of people who end up in new age. Uh, it acts as a sort of trigger. Um, and I had had... Uh, some other awakening experiences throughout my life where it just feels like your mind lights up like you were asleep and now you're awake and uh so while there were negative things happening or just really weird things some people wouldn't consider them negative but it was scary like uh after the tibetan magic ceremony and ceremonies i was doing to try to manifest things um, I was being woken up every night by spirits, every night. One of them stood at my bed and said to me, I was alive and then I was in a coffin. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, they're literally, I can hear them talking to me and I can feel them in the room with me. They're waking me up. They're not letting me sleep. I'm, I'm terrified. Um, so some people might, there are a lot of psychic mediums who will tell you, or and shamans where, well, yeah, when you start waking up to your abilities, that kind of stuff happens and don't be afraid of it and stuff. But I mean, I'm just going to tell you, it's scary, you know, even though I had experienced paranormal my whole life, it was still scary because I felt like these things were just coming to me for help or to bother me. And I, I didn't know why. And I didn't, I felt like I couldn't help them and stuff. So, I mean, that eventually stopped and that was, I would consider a negative experience. Um, so I didn't sleep for like a month, but what was positive 
And the reason I kept on on that path, even though crazy things were happening, is that awaken that feel of awakening. Um, it's that feeling of your mind sort of um, illuminating and expanding. Whereas before trying to fit myself into a Christian box felt very confining and felt restrictive and felt prescribed and pre-planned for me. And this new way of thought, there were all these options and possibilities that I had never even considered exploring before that were open to me, open to me now. So that, that was the positive aspect of it that kept me going on this path. And I'm sure, yeah, 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 it makes sense. I'm sure for somebody that who uh, really was always on the search for knowledge, I'm sure that that was very alluring to, to, to have that, that feeling of awakening and feeling like you're constantly expanding and, and uh, combined like with that, with just like the sense of wonder that, yeah, more, more, even if some of you were having some negative effects, just the fact that you were still getting that sense of wonder from the spiritual and the spiritual was, was interacting with you. I'm sure that that was, that was yeah. uh, very alluring. Right, exactly. And, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people have this experience um, with on a shamanic journey, as they call it, or Kundalini awakening. There are plenty of people um, that have terrifying experiences on their, during their Kundalini awakening is what they call it. Um, but it doesn't deter them. And you have people making videos and putting them on YouTube saying, you know, even though you feel like you're being possessed by demons and all this darkness is around you, just push through it because the light is on the other side of it. And that's very, very common to hear from New Agers and from gurus um, about these awakening experiences and expanding experiences. So, you know, when I was looking for help, even though these were scary things that were happening, I didn't um, categorize them as, well, maybe I should not do it then, or maybe I should, maybe this is bad or wrong or unhealthy. I, exactly what you said, like I was having interaction with the spirit and that was exciting enough to to keep me going on that path and so um, did, oh go ahead no no you're fine i was just gonna <laughs> think of my uh, next thought <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah um you can you can present that next thought certainly and i was gonna ask if if this tied into that um kind of delving a little bit more into the hypnosis so feel free to finish your thought and, and uh and Feel free to answer me as well on that one. Um, yeah, I don't want to fill up the, the the dead air with ums as I'm, I'm just trying to think of like <laughs> no, what the fine. next the next important milestone, I guess you could say, was with that. Uh, so, as I said, I was studying, uh, researching, and there always was in the back of my mind, like feeling like. God was looking over my shoulder and going, are you sure you should be doing that? You know, but I chalked it up to my programming. Like you will hear that a lot from new agers and from people in the call your Christian program, your, your religious programming, like um, it, it dominates your thoughts. And so I thought that that's just all that was. I didn't think it was really God like trying to warn me or stop me or anything like that. 
because I felt like if he was there, he wanted me to stop, that he would make something happen like big, you know, to, to stop me and that that never happened. And my husband didn't stop me. Um, he was not the spiritual leader of our home at all. Uh, I was doing whatever I wanted, you know, um, and it felt good for a change to do what I wanted, to do something that I wanted to do to explore something I really wanted to explore. Um, I felt like I was free, you know, I finally felt free. And so all of this is kind of going on. I have started meditating. Um, I had been urged by what I would call, I'm just going to call, uh, call it spirit. I, at this time, I didn't believe in spirit guides. I was still skeptical about that. Um, so I was calling it like spirit or the universe, you know, some kind of guiding force. I knew there was something because there were so many synchronicities about around my activity that seemed to be leading me down a certain path. Um, so I, I felt like there was something guiding me and there, there certainly was something guiding me, but it wasn't from God, obviously. Um, uh, so I had been urged by spirit to start meditating um, probably a couple of years before this was going on. And when I tried to, I immediately felt a presence standing next to me and I would open my eyes and nothing would be there but I felt it when I closed my eyes I knew something was observing me so I stopped meditating and then at, by this time where um you know I'm, I'm pretty well convinced that you know I'm going off into the esoteric as my spirituality um urging to meditate was very strong and I felt like um I even heard um something said to me what did it say something about the urgency of self-discovery and I felt like it was my duty to follow that urging and to start meditating um because in the new age we really tend to conflate um, personal, our personal spirituality with enlightening the world and helping the world, helping humanity. And there was that, there was that feeling there. So I started meditating regularly. Um, I eventually worked up to an hour a day at least and became more or less addicted to meditation. And that was increasing my sensitivity um, to hear and to see and to feel people, feel people's emotions and to know what they were thinking. Having really interesting weird dreams that seemed to mean something, um, just sort of these sort of spiritual awakening experiences that a lot of people have. And it was around this time that I was looking on, on my Kindle app and recommended in my carousel of, of recommended books was a Dolores Cannon book called Convoluted Universe. Well, that is it for this week, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
Um, and thank you, as always, for sharing this podcast with a friend, uh, for rating and reviewing us and subscribing and do- donating to the podcast if you feel so led. Um, I'm really looking forward to sharing next week's episode with you. It uh, covers a topic we haven't really covered much yet on Spirit Answers Podcast, uh, part of the new age that we haven't covered much. I think we, we touched on it just a little bit in one of the previous episodes. Um, so I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. Um, and I want to remind you, too, to please submit your, your prayer requests either in the comments below if you're watching this on YouTube um, to my email directly at spiritanswerspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com, the same place you can submit your testimony to be on the show. Or uh, we always love uh, prayer requests in the Facebook group Spirit Answers as well. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. As always, I will be praying for you here this week, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.